You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 119. It's currently November 1st, and we've got Black Friday and Cyber Monday coming up fast. And right after that is the busiest shopping season of the year. If you want to make the most of the last two months of 2022, marketing your game store online should be at the top of your list, which is why the FLGS Digital Marketing Bootcamp is back starting November 7th, 2022. We're taking all of the strategies that we use for our clients and teaching the frameworks we use to drive online and foot traffic from Google and social media, build up an email list of paying customers, send campaigns that sell, and run ads on Facebook and Google that generate thousands of dollars in sales each month. It's going to be six days of live training with a value-packed hour session each day, plus a little Q&A at the end. In case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees that go on to become Maniverse marketing agency clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted off of the program. We're keeping the bootcamp small, so the sessions can have the maximum impact. And so if you want to be one of the 10 attendees for the last bootcamp of the year, now is the time to join us. Go to maniversesaga.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. Welcome to the Maniverse podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is the podcast where we explore what it takes to build a successful, friendly local game store. If you like what you hear on today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever fine platform you're listening on. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe button and leave a comment letting us know your thoughts. As always, you can find the notes and links mentioned in today's episode at maniversesaga.com. Today, we're talking with Pat Fugie, not Fudge, not Fugue, Fugie, for those who know wonder. Pat is the head gnome, Gnome Games, Wisconsin's family game store with locations across the Fox Valley for customers to shop and plan. Uh, you have multiple locations. You've been in the business for many years. You are a pillar of the industry, I feel like is a reasonably safe thing to say. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, and I can't wait to dive into your story. Welcome, Pat. How are you doing? Thanks, Tom. We're doing well. Um, you know, we're, we're playing games, having fun, getting back to normal. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So- First question, really dive into things like, you know, get an idea as to people who may have never met you before or never heard of you before. Uh, who is Pat Fugie and what is Gnome Games? And uh, give us the give us the origin story. Well, um, Pat Fugie's a role player from the late 70s and um, also a retired master sergeant. And the last couple of years that I was in the service, my wife and I ran role-playing games with Living Greyhawk and stuff for the local university. And so on weekends, we were running tables at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, we'd run 200 tables on a Saturday of Living Greyhawk. And um, then 9-11 happened, some, some things got messed up there. But um, when it was time for me to say, hey, this is really the end of it, I want to retire, um, Paula mentioned one time, well, why don't we open a game store? Because we're driving down to the valley at that time, 45 miles each way to get games and and dice for the kids. So I said, sure, anything, you know, looking at anything's really a lot better than what what I'm in right now. So um, when it was time for us to retire, we opened our first store. We called it Gnome Games to begin with. Um, It it had a good alliteration and the URL was available, both of which are important. Mm -hmm. Um, And we founded our game store strictly on 
or primarily on role playing. Um, I had played a little bit of Magic earlier because of my kids. I knew a little bit about Pokemon, but when we opened the doors, um, we didn't have a plan for running CCGs. Um, what we did know is that we were going to do tables, and in 2003, at that time, gaming tables that were not um, specifically for card games were unheard of. Mm. And um, so we opened our, our little store. Um, and we were very fortunate that first year. Um, ACD pulled our name out of a hat and took us to uh, Vegas, or yeah, it was Vegas um, for Gamma that year. And I learned a ton of stuff. And I, you know, it, Gamma, the trade show, is always great for new, new retailers. I learned a ton of stuff there. Um, and we had some other things happen. Um, I had an educator come in and see how we were teaching um, Yu Gi Oh to uh, English with second as second language kids, uh, the kids that spoke Spanish. And she wrote a really cool article and asked if I would lecture at the university. So we got into the games and education program really early on. Um, the end of that year, we found out that our space was way too small. So we leased where our flagship is now in the shadow of Lambo. And that one has been there now 18 years. So, um, and we've expanded slowly. We do a lot of community outreach, getting out in schools, churches, um, doing family game nights. We get retained by convention to run their tabletop operations. So rather than just being a static vendor, our model is we want to go out and play or help people play. Um, you know, anybody can sell stuff, but we want to teach them how to play. Um, and we now have four locations, two in Green Bay, one in Appleton. And then our newest venture is the Noshery. Uh, new model of board game cafe, taking the stuff that was already out there and nomifying it, for lack of a better term, um, <laughs> into where we don't charge people to sit at our tables unless they're eating and drinking. And if we're doing our job, they're eating and drinking and buying games. And, and uh, that's been around about 20 months now. So I'm um, going on just about ready to go two years. And um, it's very successful in that market. So you've been around for a long time and you've expanded multiple times since you've uh kick things off what if you had to maybe try and narrow down to a small list of things uh what do you think what do you think is the reason for i guess uh your exceptional growth in some instances like what sets you apart from you know other stores that might have started in the same time what do you think um we we take the time to develop our staff and also to do some very um intense strategic planning my background is in strategic planning and and we basically reinvent that company every year and it, it allows us to pivot fairly rapidly initially it was very rapidly because i could make a decision and that would be the way it is but now with multiple locations multiple managers the ship doesn't turn quite so fast but every year um, we try to sit down with all of our key players and do revisit our business plan and do a, a short-term and long-term strategic plan. Um, and that's been very, very important to us. We put it on paper and then we make it happen. Uh, so many businesses fly by the seat of the pants. They're, they're, and it's very easy for us to get involved in that too. Every once in a while I'll look and go, gosh, I haven't really looked at that for a while. But that is really the key to our success. Um, it gives us the goals and objectives that we're really trying to work for and how we expect to get to them. So it gives us a benchmark. Um, one of the things we did, oh, probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, is what does Gnome Games look like if Wizards of the Coast goes away? Um, mm. And that was the, and every year I do um, 
we do a, a crisis exercise where we sit down with the, with the company and say, all right, what does this look like if this happens? How are we going to deal with it for you guys to survive? And um, we, we came up with some real creative things, and that's allowed us to adapt, adjust, and kind of stay two steps ahead of the rest of the industry in, in many ways. I like that. I like that a lot. I don't think I've ever had a guest on the podcast talk about how they plan ahead for potential crises and uh, avoiding or in, in just kind of mitigating the risks of something happening in the future. That's a really interesting way of, of doing things. I'm guessing that's born out of your military well, background. Um, actually, my military and my, my collegiate background, but also it, by doing that, it teaches my managers especially to be agile in their thought process. So they're always looking for opportunities. Um, for example, when we were out at, at Toy Fair, um, when right as COVID hit, um, I was out there with, with my director of retail operations, and we were discussing how can we come up with a way to adapt Gnome Games really quickly because you know, we could see the writing on the wall, what, what's happening. And we came up with a plan for at-home delivery, and um, ABC News picked it up out there. We did a, um, an interview while I was in the air flying home from Toy Fair, and we were able to adapt, and, and we were only closed officially closed to the public other than we handed things out the door, delivered to their homes about three days during during COVID. So um, we were able to leverage our relationships in the community with the education community and move forward where a lot of um, other businesses just sat and said, well, what's gonna happen next? You know, we try to try to, to be proactive whenever we can. That's a really good approach to business and I obviously it's paid off really well too, right? Especially in these- Most times. times. <laughs> Uh, was there a moment that you felt like you wanted out or that you wanted to quit? Were there any like really down moments or was it all just like rocket to the moon, you know, growth, growth, growth? No, we, we've had some major setbacks. Um, our Right after our first year, we had just leased the new location. And, and anytime you expand, you, you kind of leverage all of your resources. And we had a um, event called the Tall Ships in the Port of Green Bay. And so we set up a great big tent with a lot of our merchandise in it. Uh, Pirates of the Spanish Main was a big thing then. So we were pushing little plastic pirates out um, by the Baltimore, you know, from from uh, the movies and stuff. And that Friday night, a tornado came through and destroyed our entire setup. And we had brought it all in on consignment from a distributor. And um, Monday morning, we were drying things out and my insurance agent walked in and he had a, a kind of a sour look on his face and he said, I'm very sorry, but you're not covered. Jeez. And I said, why? And he said, we were within 500 feet of an international navigable waterway. And it's a small clause on page 77 of the stupid contract. And so, you know, that if, if that just, if ACD had called us out and said, Hey, you need to pay us back in that 30 days, we'd have been out of business because we, we lost a good chunk of change and had just done a build out. But they worked with us. We were able to recover from that. Um, and we've had some other smaller setbacks over time. But, um, you know, the biggest thing is um, my support system. You know, I've got my wife, Paula, has, has always been extremely supportive, even though when I'm grumpy, you know, she, she kind of picks me up. Um, Jocelyn, my, my director and my other managers um, have always been there when I can't. And, and that's that's the key to, to being successful is having that team. And we try to support each other. 
uh, having uh, having allies and people that you can lean on when you need some support are is uh, very important. And that is quite the disaster to come back from. So that's a heck of a story. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who just would probably hang up their hat and be like, oh, well, that's a shame. I guess we're done here. Well, the, the, the deal was we looked at it for about 20 minutes in the morning before I called ACD and I said, what are my options? And we had just signed a five by five lease. So we were on, on like month two of a five-year lease that would have drained us personally as well. Um, and so we had to have, had to do something, you know, so, um, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you just do it. One of the things that I like to explore when I'm talking to game store owners, and there's usually some, there's usually a story, but no, it's not always the first thing to come to mind. Uh, but do you have a, you've been around for a long, long time. Do you have a favorite customer story? Do you have something that like stands out as like a customer interaction at some point in the past that kind of highlights, you know, the, the, the good stuff of what it means to be in this business? We've got a couple, um, and usually they're behind-the-scenes interactions that we have after the fact. Um, the impact that our company has had on the local community and individuals sometimes just totally sets us back. Um, uh, recently, we had a, um, I received a letter from a longtime customer that's grown up and moved away, and in it he sent me his favorite Yu-Gi-Oh card with a nice letter about how we were a safe space and how we were able to help him get through his teen years and, and go on. And, and you know, when you get that kind of thing, or occasionally we'll get Father's Day cards or Paula will get, you know, Mother's Day cards, um, those are always cool. Um, but I think the very best one, we had been open about a year and a half, and I had a, a, a really longtime customer now um, stop in on his way home from the hospital with his brand-new baby to bring it in because it was so important that he show that off to grandpa and grandma gnome is what we get called a lot. Um, mm. But, um, you know, it, it just that level of impact that we can have in the community to individuals is extremely important and valuable to us, you know, and it sustains us too in a lot of time, in a lot of ways. Yeah. If you've, uh, if you've been around for almost like, more than a decade, you've uh, kind of seen, kids grow up you've seen them go to school you've seen them become parents obviously <coughs> you get to watch people live their life vicariously in a way yep yeah they become more of a somewhat of a family and, and you know they're always customers because that's what keeps us going but um you know they're a family in a lot of ways all right so we've talked about some of the some of the lows, some of the rough points. The tornado is a pretty rough point. We've talked about some of the highs, some of the nice things. Uh, I want to kind of dig into the noshery a little bit and find out a little bit more okay. about what you've got going on with this uh, this new version. So I guess first question would be, what made you want to lean more into food? Like you've got all these other locations kind of built off of this Gnome, Gnome Games brand, the same sort of model, you know, retail games focused and that sort of thing. Uh, was this just a, you wanted to try something new or was there like, do you have a passion for food? Like, why did you lean in that direction? Um, it was a couple of things. It's something that Paula, my wife and I have talked about over the years for probably seven or eight years. Hey, how can we do this? And we've done some business research in the Green Bay market and it just didn't seem to make sense there. 
Um, I, I couldn't make the numbers run. Um, both of us have a restaurant background. Um, I used to be an assistant food and beverage director, and she was a head bartender at a large facility. So, you know, we aren't we aren't virgins there. But um, what we looked at is in that Green Bay market with a restaurant, you've got to turn tables. And then we looked at what the existing model for game cafe is well we want to charge people to sit there and play and hope they buy things and that didn't quite fit for us and when we were looking at the property in sturgeon bay um we were actually looking at a different property to put a, a game store up there and that particular property wasn't tenable but directly across the street was this gorgeous 1885 historic building with the tall ceilings the tin on the ceiling full marble um, at, at that time it was a wine bar um, you know and the kitchen had just been redone prior to in 2019 um, so we we thought well let's look as you walk in you can say hey this is a game cafe what a real game cafe is so um, we pretty much leased it on the spot but we had the plan brewing that I don't want to ch charge for tables um, I want to have the food sustain the food portion of it the espresso bar is kind of like uh, a little bit of gasoline there. So especially in the tourist location, the grab and goes are real important for us. Mm -hmm. And then we have a full retail section. So we took our our experience with with board game retail and card game retail and twisted it into that. And so we've got a, a moderate stay and play library of a couple hundred titles, but we curate that extremely carefully to where we only have games there that can be played in 45 minutes or less, um, not a lot of the high-end Euro games. Um, we want families to come in, or we, we call them, the, you know, it's the muggle mindset. We want you to come in and have fun and play, enjoy a meal, um, and then take a game home. That's our whole operation. That way we, we catch you with food, we have, give you a good memory, and you get to take it home. And that's that's what our whole industry is about, is making memories. And if we can do that two or three times in the same visit um, with friends or family, then we've done a good job. Interesting approach. Very different from the usual cafe model, obviously. Like you said, most places start off with the charge for table time. Food comes, you know, as a collateral sort of thing where if they buy, they buy, it's great. But it's really they're there to play and food is a secondary thing. So far, it's paid off. Um, you know, we'll, we were we're in a tourist town, so it's a really interesting situation where um, the the word on the street amongst businessmen, you've got to make your 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 cash in four months, and then everybody locks up the doors for the other seven, pretty much. Um, we decided that with our investment and our staff, especially, that we're going to be open 12 months out of the year, and we were able to do that last winter really well on our first year, and going into this year, we've got a much better grasp of what the local community needs. Um, the community goes from 100,000 plus in the summertime down to less than 8,000 in the winter, so it's really a very unusual situation, um, but we've 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 used our Nomish influence um, with the local resorts, so we're going to be doing some special events with them to bring people up in the winter time which they're extremely happy about so um. very cool so how has the last year so covid's still kind of a thing and it still has waves and impacts and and that sort of thing we've yep. had to deal with it 
uh, what was it like? So you, you know, on the retail side of things with the other locations, you figured out how to do uh, like delivery to the home, and you you, you adapted to the the retail experience for COVID. So what was it like with uh, uh, with the cafe? How did you how did you make that work? Um, with the cafe, we opened um, early last year just as everything was kind of opening up up there. And um, for the first month or two, we went, you know, we were totally masked with in-store um, requirements. And our customers we find up there are much more conscious of personal health and safety protocols than we see in the bigger cities. I don't know if it's the mindset when they go up there or what it is. I don't, I don't want to get into that psychology at all. But they have always been real supportive of how we are. We did go through a couple of bouts where, you know, on a small scale, when you have one um, one person down with COVID, you basically lose your entire staff. Um, yeah. So what we did, what we did with us is is we tried to to segregate all of the stores into. Um, separate operational units. So if we had a store go down, we would be able to farm out help. Um, and, and we did close a few days early on, um, you know, when we had, you know, both of our cooks are out or whatever, there's absolutely nothing you can do. So we just, you know, shut her down and, and, and move on. But um, the, with, with the, the focus of being a smaller location and a short-term stay in there, I think that that mitigated it quite a bit as well. Well, the last year has been weird. The last two years have been weird. Definitely a lot to adapt to and a fine line that uh, a lot of store owners have had to walk to keep things going and make sure that uh, they stay afloat. But for some, it's been like the best years of the business, oddly enough. So I guess I guess part of the question really, so I've, uh, I've had several listeners, you know, email me and send me their thoughts based off of the fact that uh, we've got COVID, which has been generally bad. Generally, it was very difficult to deal with, uh, you know, business-wise, you know, not, not on personal levels, crappy enough on personal levels, but business-wise, challenging. But then we also have this, you know, rising tide of this gaming renaissance, right? Like tabletop has made a massive comeback, and I, in in some ways, forcing people to stay at home has kind of uh, amplified and accelerated that process too. So you've got these two, you know, opposing, or somewhat opposing uh, forces where one is really pushing people back to tabletop hobbies as in general. And then the other one is also kind of keeping them separated, right? That's, it's been an, an interesting dynamic for the, uh, the industry. How do you think this is going to go towards, you know, in the future? What do you think like the next five years kind of plays out for, uh, for the industry? I think we got a couple things going on um, in the tabletop board game and non-collectible card game. We've created massive small play a massive number of small player groups and um we i call it you know sending a, a game out in the wild when i teach a brand new game like last weekend i was able to bring in kites um and we put it on our demo table and it was really fun to watch how that happened how that worked we demo extremely well it's a game we can demo in four or five minutes and it went out and then sunday those people that they played with came back in and all week long now we're seeing that trickle back in. So when we demo to one, it's it's just multiplying spider web like out into the community, and that's that's real positive. Um, and and you know once you're a gamer and you figured out how to play with, as long as you can maintain good social 
uh, relationships with friends and family, then you're good to go. What we are seeing a little bit of is the elitist gamers and, you know, quite frankly, those probably aren't going to be our best customers. Um, you know, that they, they are always on the Kickstarter end of things and they've got to have the newest whiz bang thing. And that's cool. They're great customers. Um, or, you know, they're great for the industry, but they aren't really many times actually growing the game. They're, they're there to, for their own. And that's cool. Um, on the other side, we've got the massive explosion of collectibles. Um, almost all the stores regionally that I've seen pop open are 100% CCG related and collectible related. And those guys are going to be gone in three to five years. It's, um, you know, the only shortage of, of stuff that we see in our area as far as the collectibles goes are the lifetime tables and chairs because that's, you know, there's so many of them just popping up and there's a half a dozen tables, 36 chairs, and, and uh, now we got a store. And, you know, some of us are old enough to remember when Pokemon imploded and, some, and Homelands caused magic to implode. And, you know, at some point in time, it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, we'll ride the wave, but we want to ride the wave intelligently whole bunch of thoughts, but I wanted to kind of narrow down on one in particular. Sure. Uh, so for all of these stores that are kind of, you know, popping up and opening up shop in the last six to 12 months that uh, may or may not make it through, you know, through the future, assuming they, sure. they don't uh, adapt and all that sort of thing. Uh, what would you, what would you say from your perspective, I guess, uh, would be the most common or biggest mistake that they make as businesses that kind of like, sends them down that path of like eventually closing. They have no unique value proposition, zero. Um, they, they have cards, everybody's got cards. They got lowest price, they can't beat lowest price. They don't have a, a, a unique setting to play in. They don't have anything really unique that sets them apart. So, you know, it, that's, that's their biggest mistake from where I see it. You know, it's, um, uh, that lack of diversity, whatever it is in, in their product selection and presentation, but they're this, you know, they're no different than the guy three blocks down who did the same thing to them. So, um, it's, it's, we saw it, um, I want to say 2007, 2008, a little bit, um, but not as bad or as aggressive as it is now with the new pop-up shops. But, um, you know, it's, the, as a new store owner, the number one thing you got to figure out is what you, that unique value proposi proposition is for you, between you and the customer and really leverage that experience. Okay. So hypothetically, if a uh, potential store owner or a you know new store owner were to ask you, like, hey, I've got this shop. Assuming they're not stepping on your toes, they're nowhere near you, you know, not actual right. competitors anyway. And they were like, oh, I, I, I know I need something unique. You know what should I do? What would what kind of advice would you give them to be like? How do you position yourself as a unique game store, as a unique experience to actually have longevity? Figure out how you can fit in that community and actually become an integral part of it. You know, not just somebody who's there selling games seven days a week. Um, you do provide that play space in the education, but also figure out how you as an owner or how you and your staff can become active in the community and seen as a vital part of the community. That's critical. Um, one of the big stumbling blocks, and, and I think it, the tabletop revolution has helped it a lot, is that game stores have always been seen like a half a step above a pawn shop in a lot of communities' eyes. And 
we needed we knew early on we needed to to address that and and promote that positive image and even if you are the coolest place on the planet to a bunch of teenage kids you're still not going to cross that bridge so you got to figure out how to get engaged with the actual business community the moms the grandmas you know the the butchers the bankers and the lawyers have got to like you gotcha yeah no, i like that a lot uh that is definitely an image problem that a lot of game stores have right there's the you know the what's it called the the uh <laughs> the comic book guy from the simpsons where that's like the you know the classic yep. gamer dungeon kind of uh vibe that a lot of stores have when they first start out that's the that's the general perception but the idea that they are this you know pawn shop-esque kind of uh, environment that uh, that doesn't lead to a positive quality impression from the average like mainstream you know mom figuring out where they're gonna take their kids shopping uh, kind of a uh, kind of way so getting away from that image makes a lot of sense so quality changing the way that the uh, the fixtures the location like all of that factors into that kind of an image that you're going to have in the market. So when you talk about participating in the community, what does that look like? Well, for us, we've got a very unique situation where we actually get asked to come out to schools more than we can support right now. Um, hmm. I've got to turn down three or four schools a week um, because because of staffing. Um, and um, but. You know, you want to get out and you want to get out and play. So get yourself out into schools, into churches, um, go to nursing homes, whatever it is that makes that you're comfortable with and you can present a good quality professional image event for. And, you know, we we do some really big, big stuff where we'll get, you know, we'll, we'll go out on a convention floor and have a room where we're seating six or seven hundred people at a time. But it started small with, you know, just a little tiny single classroom of 20 kids, you know, teaching them how to play uh, goblet gobblers or whatever, what, whatever we're teaching them at the time. Um, you know, easy ones are um, the, the uh, in the springtime in, in Wisconsin, a lot of the schools will do business learning days and we'll get asked to come in and talk about the business of trading cards. So we'll go in for an hour and teach the kids how to tell rarity on Pokemon cards, how to trade fairly and things like that. And, you know, you do that with a bunch of fourth graders year after year after year and the teachers see value and the parents see value in it. Then they'll just, you know, and it grows slow. You know, you know, it's not, you're not going to go from, Hey, I want to do this to, you know, Pre-COVID 2019, we did 147 game nights in a year, and you know that's you know we're we're not going to hit that this year. We you know uh, I need a couple more bodies to make that work this year, but um, but then you also want to polish your personal and your staff's personal professional image as well. They need to be able to carry on a conversation with a parent that doesn't revolve around D and D characters, Magic, Pokemon, and Yu-Gi-Oh, in a way that moms and dads feel comfortable talking to you about it and educators too um you know it it always astonishes me when i see um a store owner who's really he really or they really want to get into a school but their professional presence is not something that i would put in front of a classroom so yeah it's cool that we you know um you know we can be a little bit rough around the edges we're on the table privately but we really have to look at how we look as individuals to the people in the community professional image the businesses image, right. all of that works together for sure 
so when you were first like trying to get into schools and you were communicating with educators and trying to you know get this whole educational program going were you literally just like walking into the school and saying hey we have, we have a game store we just opened up we teach people how to play these games it would be really interesting to do something along along those lines with you know students was that how you got into things or like what was the process of of building that portion of uh, the business up our our first interaction with with educators and and PTOs came from um when parents would come in and see us teach taking the time to teach kids brand new games so we always had a little demo table um, but our number one was teaching kids taking the time to teach kids through pokemon league um, that's our absolute number one parent relationship builder out there because mom will bring in um, their kids you know those five six and seven year olds who are so excited to do it and we'll teach mom the value of using pokemon to learn how to do math and learn how to read and social skills and trading skills and things like that and while we're doing that we also teach mom hey did you see this cool game over here and you know the first one was hey can you bring a couple of your games to our kindergarten class and teach the kids how to play the games and you know that that was just that simple of getting into that school um, and doing it i was fortunate enough um, we had the um, uh, director of uh, elementary education from the university saw what we were doing with Yu-Gi-Oh and Spanish-speaking students where we would take the time to teach them the words on the card and they would help us and we none of our staff at that time spoke any Spanish whatsoever but we would teach them how to use the cards in English and she saw that she wrote a, um, a scientific or a professional journal article on it and then she asked us to come and lecture and for us that was the gateway um, you know for a number of years I, I guess lectured at the university and taught a, a part of a course in games and education out there. So that that's the credibility that we were able to build um, just because we were in the right place, right time with that professional um, background, I guess. Excellent, cool, 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 cool. Uh, so for somebody kicking things off, you know, now or in the near future, uh, trying to start off by building those relationships with parents is pretty important. It's pretty paramount to kind of leading up to bigger and better things it, it is and one of the things to remember is going after high school groups is great you can a lot of times get into now there's dungeons and dragons clubs and magic clubs and anime clubs and all sorts of things and you can provide provide them some things um that way um but every year or every four years the ptos of every elementary school uh, parent teacher organizations um, and they're called different things around the country but the leadership changes every four years. So we have a constant churn of potential envoys for us if we can find one or two active moms, and it's usually moms, or dads in the community that want to do it. And all it takes is one, you know, that, that enjoys the store, enjoys what you do, respects what you can do, and, you know, make it known that, hey, we have game nights available. You can either bring the kids to the store School or to the store or we go actually go out to the schools and um, do some cool sting things with that you know normally we'll do take along we've got a 21 foot trailer that will load up with stuff and roll the racks in and and let the families play with the giant chess and the giant Jenga and stuff like that and the, and the regular games and now the schools actually let us retail there they we had one last night um, one of my uh, my director of retail operations got to run it 
and it was worth a day's worth of sales in the store. Um, and the families are happy, you know, basically bringing known games into your school. It's, it's better than classic books. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's a, that's a really, really interesting development. Oh, man. Okay. So I want to zoom out a little bit. So I wanted to kind of step back, back in time, our conversation a little bit and talk a little about how, uh, so you've got multiple locations. Obviously, you've got many employees running those locations. You've got a hierarchy of managers that you uh, work with to make sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, what was the process for you to, I guess, build up this team to actually have people take care of these businesses you know, for you? Because as a one guy, you know, I'm sure you can do tons and tons of things over the course of a day, and you're very confident and capable, but you still need a team to be able to get all of that stuff done. So... What were the pitfalls? How hard was that? What was the process like developing a team that can actually do all those things? Um, we had a number of pitfalls. Um, one of the things that I learned early on is it's very difficult to hire from externally um, as a, for a manager. Um, we have to develop them and integrate them into our culture first. So um, we try to rise from within. Um, and um, we, I have always tried to empower my managers to make the decisions. I, I, I try. Sometimes they just, you know, they're scared to, to pull the trigger, so to speak. But, um, you know, you make the best decision possible. You tell me why you made it. We'll both learn from it. And if it's great, I'll learn something. If it's not so great, we'll both learn how to prevent it from happening or do it better next time. And, um, you know, fortunately, I've been lucky enough to get some great managers um, and, um it's it's worked its way itself out. Um, we're in the process of figuring out how to codify a lot of the things that we do, which is really important for us. Because with multiple locations, if you go into my Green Bay store and then my Appleton store, you should have that same experience. That's my biggest challenge right now is is getting that um, just just nailed down so that everything is at least similar enough that you know it's a gnome game store. One of the things that COVID did for us that was totally inadvertent, is we didn't want to do the receiving in the one store that we kept open um, through, through the enti entirety of COVID. So we leased a warehouse and we went to what we call internally our push model so that all of our stores have a specific number of games on the, on the shelves based on their location and their expected sell through. And when they sell something, if supply chain is normal we just supply from them uh, to them from the warehouse on the next daily push so we're not out of a lot of product um, other than supply chain issues so that has been extremely important for us that's probably been our biggest growth challenge for the last two years is how do we set up a warehouse from scratch and we did it totally wrong to, uh, you know, so many Very lessons bad. learned about warehouse management you know it was then just put it on the shelf alphabetically. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, um, but, um, you know, and, and inventory management is critical for multiple locations. Um, your, your point of sale has got to do the work for you. Um, you, you can't have, there's, and that's one of the, my biggest surprises that nobody has really come up with a very solid multi-location game industry point of sale yet. Um, you know, it, it's, a great opportunity for somebody who really understands what 
a full game store does. Most of them concentrate on integrating with TCG player and selling singles, and there can be a good chunk of change there, but it, they don't manage real pro hard product ordering and, and, and all that very well. Um, and, you know, the last thing would be our strategic planning meetings and our open and constant communication. Uh, we built a real good web of communication tools between the managers um, and and um, all of the store staff um, and using a variety of different tools so that we can always communicate uh, between the stores at a store-to-store -store level, person-to-person -person level, or at a at a somewhat hidden management level that allows us to react, plan ahead, um, and deal with the, the mini crises that can blow up really quickly. Cool, cool. So we're talking Slack or something like that, or some sort of a uh, communication we platform. Leverage, we actually leverage Facebook, Facebook, Skype, and email very, very well, um, and then our internal um, things. We 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 looked at Slack, and Slack is great if we've got a bunch of technically savvy staff, and we we played it. But if I've got to bring in somebody who's really not even comfortable with email um, and there's quite a few people out there that can't send an email um, then slack is like i'm never going to touch it so we went with the platforms that they're used to using and have figured out a way to to do most of it um, we do use um, verizon's blue jeans program quite a bit for a variety of different things gotcha cool all right so I've got two more questions that I want to ask you, sure. and I'm going to let you go and let you get back to your day. Uh, so the first question is a question that I tend to ask pretty much every store owner that I have on the, on the podcast, and I think it's one of the more interesting philosophical questions. Uh, but it's essentially, what does success look like for you personally? Because success is like this really nebulous term because you know a lot of people start their business with different goals in mind. and their goals change over time. So you've been in the in the industry for a long time. You've had, by all metrics, by people comparing, like you've had tons and tons of success. So at this stage and where you're at now, what does that look like? Um, right now, my target for personal success and company success is to be self-sustaining and take care of my employees. That's the number one target that I, I've got to make sure is, is happening. And so when I know that all of my staff are, are are paid fairly well. You know, we'd always love to have everybody making $35, $40 an hour. It's reality is not going to be there um, in, in small retail. But um, we, want them to, we want them to know that they're going to have a job going forward, that they've got a good, clean, safe environment. And there, there's really not a, a major chance of them not going away. Now, a lot of our positions are that high school student, college student, part-time thing. But my full-timers, I want them to know that, you know, they're going to be you know, a part of a growing company and, and continue to grow going forward and and their efforts are, are are rewarded and as they grow the company grows. That's um, you know, it's most of our employees have been here much longer than COVID, um, with the exception of one of the locations and, you know, that's newness of facility. And that's just, you know, one of our big keys of success is our staff expanding the staff, making sure that they're taken care of. It's more of an ongoing success. Every day it's achieving this this successful, self-sustaining, keep the ball rolling 
forward progress. Right. And, you know, if everything, if we look at it from that, that our job is to put games on the table for the community, in order to do that, I've got to have staff. You know, it's, it's all those components that lead to that. That's, you know, our success is, is measured by us being here and our staff being in good shape financially and, and psychologically going forward. Last question, basically, is uh, if you had to give some parting words of advice, some words of wisdom for someone to think about if they're thinking about opening a store, if they've just opened or, you know, they're struggling or they're just making their way through life. They're just trying to, to keep it keep it going. What do you think is the most important thing for a game store owner to be thinking about right now? And uh, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's listening? I wish somebody had told me this to, to start with because um, it's one of the things that we skipped for a number of years, but figure out how you're going to pay yourself from day one. Because if you can't afford to pay yourself from day one, um, then your business is already underwater, whatever your salary would be. And that's that's critical on those number crunching. You've got to have a good business plan, a good realistic business plan. If you make the conscious decision of taking the $5,000 a month or $2,000 a month or $800 a month, whatever you're actually paying yourself a living wage, please make it a living wage, um, and put it back in and reinvest it in, um, then you've got a, a sound business plan. But if your business plan revolves around, I'm going to use my 401k for the first 18 months and, and eat mac and cheese and ramen while I get this going, you're creating a stressful situation that that sets yourself up for failure. Um, and, and I know there's been a lot of great, great stories where people have come out and, and been successful for a while doing that. But I do believe that 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 level of stress causes a lot more store or not level of stress. Um, lack of good business planning prevents stores from succeeding and also maybe open some stores that shouldn't, that aren't quite ready for it. Now that's some good advice because if you are planning in that way, you'll know that for sure either this is not going to work and you should maybe hold off and just stop yourself from going down that road. Or maybe if they take that advice, they will become a self-sustaining store. And instead of flaring out after a couple of years because you're stressed out of your mind, working 60 hours a week or 70 hours a week, trying to make it happen, uh, maybe you can actually take a vacation. You can actually take care of yourself and not feel the personal stress and anxiety that causes you know, the, the uh, inevitable demise of the business that you decided to build. Yeah, and remember to use real numbers too. You know, um, I, I had a, a meeting with a potential store owner a week, 10 days ago, and they were saying, well, they want to have four people on staff all the time and paying them $25 an hour. And I, I said, well, let's do the math. And your store's got to, at that point in time, with basic um, costs of goods and everything else, you're, you got to open the doors and do three quarters of a million dollars a year straight out to make that work. And um, and that's at you know that's at normal margins. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of businesses out there that operate on the ten percent solution, and you know, you got to multiply that by a factor of three or four. Then, um, and that's a lot of cash churn in in medium size or smaller size markets. That's almost unattainable. And so, you know, even on the high end, on the back end, and so, you know, take the time to do the numbers, realistic numbers, you know, and put it all down. And, you know, understand that you might have the biggest 
Magic collection or Pokemon collection in, in the area. But once that's gone, you don't have Diddly. And that's, you know, you're just selling off goods rather than have, running a, a retail business. That's some great advice. I, I definitely recommend if you're considering opening your store uh, that you pay attention and you listen to what Pat is telling you because he knows what he's talking about. So not really a question, but before I let you go, sure. where can people get a hold of you? Where do people, if people want to find out more about Gnome Games, where do they go? If they want to get connected with you, what do they have to do? Um, the best way is, you know, visit our website. It's ugly. It's one of my, my major projects for probably first quarter next year. Um, but um, you can go to gnomegames.com or um, check out our, our board game cafe at Um Each of the stores and our world headquarters has Facebook pages, so you can always reach me there. Otherwise, the best way um, industry-wise is the headgnome at gmail.com. It's outside the gnome games realm. Um, one of the things we learned many years ago is that I've got to have a non- um, uh, not, an email that doesn't include the word games because a lot of schools and, and government agencies auto filter games out so we were sending emails to nowhere land and so when you name your store figure out a way that your email convention works around that that little black box that is out there that nobody knows where'd my email go so yeah that's a um, good pro tip to close things out on Make sure you got a clean email that doesn't have the word games in it. And maybe people will actually respond to your email more than, uh, or they will get your email in the first place. Uh, that's pretty important. Well, thank so, you very much. That was a fun conversation. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you can so. make this work. It's oh, great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And if uh, anyone listening does want to get a hold of Pat, make sure you uh, send him an email and, and ask him some questions. I'm sure he would be uh, more than happy to offer you some of his time probably he's a busy guy but you know he's got some he's got some wisdom to share so yep and and we do in in normal times we do a normal retailer boot camp um we normally run it once a year for six to twelve retailers um i've got a couple of requests so we'll probably run it first quarter next year um as soon as we figure out staffing we'll we'll post it out in the gamma forums and everywhere else so um come to wonderful blustery green bay in december and uh March or April, and uh, um, it's the best time to travel there because nobody wants to. <laughs> awesome. All right, well, thank you again. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to everybody again in the next episode. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. If you want to go deeper, uh, make sure that you check out other episodes of the podcast. And thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host. And I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.
session each day, plus a little Q&A at the end. In case you need a little more incentive, bootcamp attendees that go on to become Maniverse marketing agency clients in the future will get the price of the bootcamp discounted off of the program. We're keeping the bootcamp small so the sessions can have the maximum impact. And so if you want to be one of the 10 attendees for the last bootcamp of the year, now is the time to join us. Go to maniversesaga.com forward slash bootcamp and enroll today. All right, that is it for today's episode of the Maniverse podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date whenever we upload. And if you like what you hear, we'd also appreciate a quick five-star review on iTunes. If you want to go deeper, uh, make sure that you check out other episodes of the podcast. And uh, make sure that you also reach out to Pat and let him know that you heard him here on the Maniverse podcast. And that uh, you really liked his interview because it was fantastic. And thanks again for listening to today's show. I'm Tom Traplin. I've been your host. And I will talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse podcast.